0: visit our website at fbcloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. I know you were expecting Bruce, and I'm not Bruce, but he was kind enough to give me 15 minutes of his sermon time this morning. He's not out here to argue with me, so I'll go with that. Actually, he said five. (coughs) Excuse me. Um... Yes, marriage mentoring. Wanted to just highlight that a little bit this morning for you. My name is Darren Risch, by the way, for those of you that don't know me. My wife, Bonnie, and I have been working with the marriage mentoring initiative here at FBC for a few years now. Um, Three or four years ago, Bonnie and I started asking younger couples a question. Couples in their 20s, 30s. And the question we asked them was this. Who do you have in your life that is... 10, 12, maybe 15 years older than you that you spend time with, hang out with, do things with. And you know, every time we've asked that question so far, the answer has been the same. And the answer we've received has been nobody. We don't have a couple 10 to 15 years older than us that we hang out with, spend time with. And we thought, man, that is so sad it sat on two fronts. First of all, younger couples aren't getting the opportunity to spend time with and gain wisdom and insight and perspective from the older couples. And older couples, in the same way, aren't having the opportunity to get to know younger couples and gain understanding of where they're at and learn from them. Now, don't hear what I'm about to say um, and think that I'm saying that Things were better in the good old days, and that we need to go back to the way things were. But I just wanted to share a little bit of our story, Bonnie and I, and how much mentoring has impacted our lives right here at FBC. We um, we came here to this church in 1994. Now that's a long time ago, and we have been hugely impacted by the mentoring relationships that we have gained over the course of those years. Now things were a lot different back in 1994. I mean, other than the orange pews and the brown carpet, pretty much everything else has changed. And one thing that's changed is that back then, I believe our average Sunday morning attendance was in the neighborhood of 200 to 240 people. So for the most part, it was just one service and you could pretty much get to know everybody in the church and church functions would kind of involve everybody, and you'd get together, and so there'd be intermingling of couples of all ages, and we got to know older couples in the church and spend time with them and did things socially with them. There was also a a volunteer ministry called Home Builders that we had in those days, and it was just a time where a few times a year, couples, again, of all ages would get together, leave the kids at home, come out, and just have a great social evening together. And those were huge for Bonnie and I because... We got to know older couples and we built relationships with them. And you know when those days come and the kids have driven you right to the edge and you're sure you're going to lose your mind at any minute, you know, we had couples that we would call and, and talk to, couples who'd been through that stage of life before and they'd, they'd done it and they'd, we'd talk to them and they would give us some perspective on those times and give us some hope that you know, you'll get through this. You'll get over this. And they'd share, these are some of the things we did. And so we'd learn from them. And it was so beneficial for us to have those older couples in our lives. I remember another time I was struggling with my job. And we invited an older couple in. They sat in our living room with us. And we sat down and they just gave us some real wisdom and gave us a different perspective and just helped us through a tough time in our lives. There was no formal mentoring program. But those were mentoring relationships, and they were huge in our lives. And that's why it's so sad when we hear young couples now just saying, oh, we don't really have anybody that's older, that's been through those stages of life that we can connect with and learn from and grow together. And so that is one of the main reasons for marriage mentoring. Now, unfortunately, I think when a lot of people hear the term marriage mentoring, and I know this because... I've heard a lot of people say it. It's, oh, that's for couples that are having problems. Marriage mentoring, well, that's if we're having a tough time or if we're going through a tough spot in our marriage, then, yeah, then, we'll, then we should get some marriage mentoring. Now, again, don't hear me wrong. If you are having problems, if you are going through a tough time, please call. Call the church office, and maybe it's, it may be that one of our mentor couples can walk with you through that time and really help you and help you get through it. But also know that marriage mentoring is not marriage counseling. We're not marriage counselors. And if we sense that you need counseling, we will steer you in that direction. But marriage mentoring is just exactly what I shared with you. Bonnie and I, our experience here is just having a connection with older couples in the church that could just help us through some, just get some perspective on life and just to have those relationships was so valuable to us. And we want that for each one of you. It's for everybody. Marriage mentoring isn't just for people going through tough times. In fact, like I say, that's not the focus at all. Marriage mentoring is just to be able to have those connections and those relationships that'll just help you in all aspects of life just to have another older couple to gain some wisdom and perspective from. Um, If you are interested in marriage mentoring, all you have to do is contact the church office and they will connect you and we'll do our best to get you matched up with one of our mentor couples. It's just, it's one way. Like I say, we can't go back to the way things were. Like I said, I wish, I wish all of you could have the experience with mentoring at FBC that Bonnie and I have had because it's been huge for us. But I realize that, I mean, much larger church now, I mean, pre-COVID, we were, I think, around 700 people on a Sunday morning would come to the two services here. And I mean, it's, it's, we can't do things the way we used to. But this is one thing that we can do. Is we can offer you the opportunity so that maybe someday if I come and I ask you, who do you have in your life that's 10, 12, 15 years older than you, that you connect with, that you can go to and talk to and spend time with, maybe you'll be able to give me the name of at least one couple. Thank you. Good morning
1: not sure what Darren said at the beginning, but I heard my name and laughter, so I'm going to have to watch the YouTube uh, feed and find out what, what he said. So, it's a pleasure to be with you this morning. I think that is a, a great ministry, great opportunity for young couples and, and a great opportunity for older couples as well to join into that, that mentoring relationship and, and just a, a neat opportunity that this church provides i um, excited to be with you again this morning. Uh, it was fun to kick off last week's series, the call waiting series. Uh, I think it's amazing just to think about the fact that God wants to communicate with us. That God wants us to know Him and He's done a number of things. We talked about general revelation, the fact that He has revealed Himself in nature, in creation. That he is, when we look around, the Apostle Paul says that there's no excuse for us not to see God's nature and, and the fact that he is, he is there and, and he is God. No excuse for that. But then we also talked about the fact that general revelation, as cool as it is, it, it doesn't give us the means to know God. It, it, it tells us that he's out there, but it really doesn't give us the means to actually enter into that personal relationship that he wants with us. So we talked about special revelation, talking about the fact that God has gone to great lengths for us to know him. That He has gone to, to great lengths uh, to, to reveal himself to us uh, in his word uh, and also through his son, Jesus Christ. And I think just the fact that God wants to know us, it should, should thrill us. It should excite us. And it should just, just make us say, okay, how do I hear this call? And, and what do I do as I hear that call? And so today, or last week, we were asking the question, can you hear me now? And this week, I want us to consider the question, are you expecting his call? So can you hear me now? God's saying, hey, I'm calling out, I'm speaking to you. And then also this week, it's like, are you expecting him to talk directly, to speak directly to you? So let's just pray, ask the Lord's blessing on this morning, and then we'll get right to it. Father, I just want to thank you for this morning. I uh, just thank you for the privilege of, of knowing you. Thank you that you have initiated the conversation, Lord, that you are calling out to us, that you want us to know you, uh, and that you want to speak with us, not just randomly, but on a daily basis. And so today, as we look through your word, I just want to pray that you would just help us to, to hear from you, to expect to hear from you, and then to respond properly. I just want to thank you in your name. Amen. Amen. I'm sure that in all of your lives there has been a point in time when you have been anxiously awaiting a phone call. And as you sit there, maybe you're waiting for, for the call that you got a job and that anxiety is building up, that anxiousness, that excitement. You're just hoping that, that that interview went well and that you're going to get this job. Or maybe you dropped your car off at the mechanic earlier in the day and you're, you're waiting for his call, but you're really hoping that what he's going to say is everything's fine. Just, you know, it's, just come pick up the car. And you're like, yeah, it didn't cost me a ton of money this time. Maybe as a parent, you have been anxiously waiting as your child has gone off on a trip or whatever, and you're just anxiously waiting that phone call to say, hey, I've arrived safely. So we all have this idea and this understanding of expecting or anticipating a call. The beginning of October, Amanda and I were were anticipating a call. We were expecting a call. Uh, Parker has been dating the same young lady for a number of years. Parker is our older son, for those that you don't know. Um, and he's been dating girl Emma for a number of years. We knew that he had the ring, and we knew that he had a plan. And so we were waiting all day on that Saturday, waiting for this call, expecting this call. And about supper time, we get a group text that says, she said, okay, if we're going to a movie, we'll call you later tomorrow, actually, is what he said, and I was like, that was not at all how that phone call was supposed to go. That communication was supposed to go. He should have known after twenty years of, of living with us that that needed a phone call to hear his voice, to share in that excitement, to just to just be, um, just to be able to share that moment with them. Thankfully, they did FaceTime us the next day, and we did get to celebrate with them uh, and pass on our love and excitement for them. But. Uh, Braden, if you're watching, don't, don't text us, all right? Make sure that's a phone call when you get engaged. So, today, guys, we're going to look at the fact that we can expect God's call in our life. And sometimes we think of that as, as just being maybe a, a moment by, uh, sort of a, an experience by experience thing, and it could be months in between, or days, or years, or whatever. Um, but what I really want us to understand today is that when we are expecting God's call, we should be expecting that on a daily basis. That we should be always ready to hear his voice. And today what we're going to do is we're going to look at the story of Samuel. So if you want to go to 1 Samuel chapter 3, 1 Samuel chapter 3, um, just want you to, uh, to just look through this passage. We're going to read through the account and then we're going to go back and hit some highlights and I'll sort of expand on them as we read through as well. So if you're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. So here in in the story, we see in the the period of of Israel's history, uh, there had been a a number of times where they had just been disobedient to God. And as Israel gets disobedient, God stops speaking, not because he doesn't want to communicate, but because nobody is listening, nobody is responding. And so he had been speaking for, for a period of time, but then Eli and, and Eli's sons, um, Eli's sons in particular, began to really abuse the office of the priesthood. They were stealing from the offerings, they were, they were committing immorality with the, with the women who worked in the temple, and they were really making a mockery of God and the testimony of God. And so God withdrew his voice and he wasn't speaking. But in his faithfulness and in his nature, he was preparing to raise up a young man who he would be able to speak through once again. And so Samuel was probably 11 or 12 years old at this point. uh, And he had been serving in the temple for a number of years and it says here that he was sleeping in the temple. A number of the commentaries that I read was, you know, there was the tabernacle. The temple wasn't built yet, so there was a tabernacle. And around that tabernacle, there were a number of different buildings uh, where people that worked in the temple would, would sleep. And so Samuel was probably sleeping in, in, that, uh, in that area. And uh, it says the, the lamp of the Lord had not yet gone out. So we can see that it was probably very, very late at night, very early in the morning because each morning the priest would extinguish that that lamp of the Lord and relight it again in the evening. So this is sort of the time frame. It's very late at night, um, and so everybody has been sleeping fairly soundly. And then we see this in the next passage. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down, and the Lord called again Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and he went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boar. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went to lay uh, down in his place. So again, late night, early morning, everybody's sound asleep, Samuel hears a voice calling to him and so he immediately gets up and at this point, you know, we see that Eli is quite old, his eyes are dim, so Samuel was probably just expecting that, that, that Eli needed some help of some form in the night, so he runs right to him. And he runs into Eli's room and, and, um, and, and uh, Eli's like, I didn't call you. And I don't know if you guys, as parents, or if you've gone away on overnight trips, but, you know, you've been working with kids maybe at camp, and you know how weird it is to get woken up out of a dead sleep? You know, you're sound asleep, and then all of a sudden there's somebody standing beside you and tapping on your arm or whatever, or, Dad, Dad, wake up. I remember one particular night, Parker had a lot of nosebleeds growing up, and I'm pretty sure this was night he just came in, he came in with a nosebleed, and he woke me up out of a dead sleep. I mean, I, don't, I didn't even know where I was. And so he's like, Dad, Dad, I got a nosebleed. And I was like, okay, buddy, just, just go use the photocopier. That's what I told him. That poor kid had no idea what was going on. We don't have a photocopier in our house, but I was out to lunch. And so, so he, he's just kind of like, what do I do? And so I kind of perceived this is kind of like what Eli was like. You know, as, as Eli is, is there, and he's woken up out of a dead sleep, and he's, Samuel's like, what can I do for you? And he's like, well, I didn't call you. And this goes on for three times. And then the third time, finally, Eli goes, ah, oh, there's something happening here. This is not natural. This is God speaking to this young boy. And we see in 1 Samuel 3.10, uh, where, where Eli had told Samuel to go, say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And so Samuel goes back. The Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. So we're going to see where God said to Samuel in just a few minutes, but there are a number of things from this account that I think that we can apply to our lives when it relates to expecting God's call. And the first thing that we need to see here is that God called Samuel to a relationship with himself. God called Samuel to a relationship with himself. Again, he had been serving in the temple for a number of years, and he had served right alongside of Eli, but he had not yet known God. I'd never seen that before. 1 Samuel 3, verse 7 says this, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. So despite growing up in a very religious environment, Samuel had not yet gotten to know God personally. He had seen the rituals, he had seen the routine, and he, he knew all of the lingo of, of serving God. I'm sure he had served right alongside of Eli in many different, uh, many different uh, services. But he hadn't had a personal relationship with God. And so in this passage of Scripture, we see that God is calling out directly to Samuel. Samuel, Samuel, I want to know you. And I want us to understand today that that is the, the first call that we need to respond to in our lives. The fact that the God of heaven and earth is calling out to us and he is saying, I want to know you. Actually, he already knows us fully. He wants us to know him. He wants us to enter into a relationship with him. See, the Bible is clear. It doesn't leave a lot of wiggle room for us to think that we are somehow already in a relationship with God as soon as we're born. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And this is a pretty widespread thing. There's there's none of us that can get out from under that word all. We have all sinned. And sin has a devastating consequence. Scripture tells us that sin brings death. This means a number of different things. First of all, it means the fact that one day all of us are going to die. That we look around, we see the reality of death around us. People pass away all of the time. Ones that are close to us have passed away. And so we know the fact that death is here in this world and it is the fate for all of us unless the Lord returns before them. Not only does it mean that we die physically, it means that we are also spiritually dead, separated from God and under his wrath. And finally, it means that without some form of intervention, we are destined to spend eternity separated from God and experience his wrath forever. But thankfully, God has provided us a means to enter into a relationship with him, to have the consequence of our sin dealt with. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I like the contrast in that verse. First of all, the wages of sin is death. What we earn for sin is death. What we earn for the things that we do that break God's commandments is death. But there is a free gift of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Ephesians chapter 2 takes that a little bit further and it says this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So we were dead, incapable of rescuing ourselves from the situation that we were in. But God, in his great mercy, reached out to us. And when we respond in faith, he makes us alive together with Christ. And then, lastly, John 3, verses 15 through 17. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. As we think about responding to God's call in our lives, it's imperative that we respond to this call first. We are, as the Bible said, spiritually dead, incapable of working our way or negotiating with God into a relationship with him. We are absolutely powerless to, to change our condition. But the Bible says that God loved us so much that he provided a way that through faith in what Jesus Christ has done, we could enter into that eternal relationship, that we could have our sins forgiven and receive the gift of eternal life. See, the death of Jesus Christ is is God's call to you. It's a universal call. We People know historically that Christ died on the cross. That's the universal call, but it's also an individual call. The cross of Jesus Christ is, is God saying to you, I love you. I want a relationship with you. I want to rescue you from the penalty of sin. And so today, God is calling. If you have not yet placed your faith and trust in Christ, God is calling to you. And he's saying, I want you to be in that relationship with me. I want you to enjoy forgiveness. I want you to enjoy the the assurance of eternal life. Could be today that you're here and, and you've grown up in church. Maybe you've grown up in church for a number of years. You've been attending for a number of years. You're familiar with the religious jargon. You can say all the right phrases. But have you responded personally to God's invitation to know him? And so today, if you do not know him, please just respond to his call. Respond by saying, hey, I I realize, God, that I am dead in my sin. There's nothing that I can do to change that. I realize that you loved me enough to send Jesus to pay the penalty for my sin. That when he died on the cross, he was my substitute. He took my place, he paid the punishment that I deserved. And I understand that if I ask in faith, you will forgive my sin and give me eternal life. So today, again, I would just encourage you, answer that call. He's calling you. Expect that call to to nag at you through your life because he wants you to be saved from the consequences of sin. And he wants you to enter into that eternal relationship with him. So, this is where Samuel responds. And he, he says, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. But he did not respond on his own. He didn't really know who God was. And so we need to see that God uses Eli to direct Samuel to answer God's call. 1 Samuel three eight nine, 9. And the Lord called again Samuel the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, go, lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went to lay down in his place. I think there's an important application here. Samuel didn't recognize the call of God. He didn't even recognize the voice of God. And it took somebody to come alongside of him and to say, this is what's happening. God is speaking to you. And I think it's really important in our lives as believers in Jesus Christ that we come alongside of people and that we help them recognize God's call in their life. It may be uh, somebody that doesn't know Christ and they're just saying, man, there's all of these things going on in my life right now. I don't know what's going on. And maybe you can come alongside of them and say, you know what? I really believe that's God calling to you. I really believe that's God calling out into, to you to have a relationship with him. Maybe it's, it's in, a, in a mentoring relationship. Maybe as you, you know, see somebody younger coming up through or you're talking with somebody and you're recognizing, man, man, God's calling them. You know, and it may take that moment of coming alongside of them and saying, look, God has given you this gift, this ability, this talent. And man, look at all the things that he's lining up in your life. I really think he's calling you to, you know. We can't say specifically how God is calling somebody. I really like what Eli said there. He said, listen, just go and listen. Just go and listen. I'm pretty sure God's calling you. So when the next time that happens, just say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. But also we need to understand that we can perceive that God is working in somebody's life, that he is guiding and directing them. And that as we love them, we come alongside of them and we say, hey, I think God's doing something. Listen up, he's he's got something good for you and he's got something that he wants you to do or or to serve him. Next thing we see is that that God called Samuel into a life of service. I can't imagine what it was like for Samuel as as Eli said, well, you know, Samuel, that's probably God talking to you. Just just go lay down and wait, you know. Do you think that guy, 10 or 11 years old, 11, 12 years old, just went and went right back to sleep? I don't think I would have. I would have been just laying there and just waiting, you know, and just say, what, what is this? God is talking to me directly. That excitement, that anticipation, what is he going to say? So when God called, Samuel said in this 1 Samuel 3.10, speak for your servant hears. Here's the amazing thing about, about really when, we're, when God is calling us and as we're expecting God's call. As we expect God's call, we need to be willing to say, hey God, I'm ready to do Whatever you want me to do. Samuel addresses himself as, his, as God's servant. We need to understand that when, we call, when God calls us, we respond to his call for eternal life, we're saying to God, God, I'm surrendering my life to you. I'm going to be, live in obedience to you. I'm going to do what you ask me to do. And we don't know all, all of what that might, might take. It may be that he's calling you into a certain profession. It may be that he's calling you to to go and to serve in in another country. It could be that he's calling you to to stay exactly what you are and be a light and a testimony where you are. It could be that he's calling you to use a talent or ability, you know, not just as a hobby, but as actually a means to glorify him. That when God calls us, that he's calling out to a life of service and he's calling us to to do things that, that will glorify him. And that will draw other people's attention to himself. Mark Breitreitz was here a few weeks ago at our fellowship meeting. I can't remember if I told you this or not, but it just seems so, so simple as we think, "What is God calling me to do?" And one of the things that Mark talked about about making an impact among your neighbors and, and among the people that you meet is he said, "Just simply be kind. Just simply be kind." Go out of your way to to be kind to the person in the drive-thru. Go out of your way to go over to your neighbors and, and to speak with them and to be kind to them. If you're wondering, what is God calling me to do? Let's start with this. Let's just be kind. Let's just go and show his love for others through our actions. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be difficult. It can be very, very simple. Sometimes the call is a little bit more uh, dramatic. Maybe it's something, you know, life-changing that he's calling you to do. But we need to understand that we're saying, when we answer his call, we're saying, God, I'm, I'm ready and I'm willing to do whatever you ask me to do. The story continues on, 1 Samuel 3:11 to 15. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. I just sometimes love God's descriptiveness. You know, this is, this is big news. Everybody's ears are going to tingle. One day, uh, on that day, I will fill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. You just think about that. Here's a boy, 11 or 12 years old, he's hearing his voice, has called him three times, didn't know what it was, and Eli says, it's God. And then Eli or Samuel goes back and he lays down, he's like, oh, I can't wait, what is God going to say to me? And he's laying there, and God calls again, Lord, whatever, tell me what it is. Speak, Lord, your servant hears. And he gets this message, that God's gonna punish Eli, this guy that he's been been mentoring him for years, that he's been serving alongside with the temple. And then it says, and Samuel was afraid to tell Eli his vision. He knew Eli's gonna ask him in the morning, what did God say? Did he call again? And God's first mission for this boy was to step up. And to do something that was absolutely, probably terrifying for him to do. We have to understand that, that there are going to be times when God calls us to do hard things. When God calls us to take a stand for him that just, it, it terrifies us to do that. That God calls us to, to, to make a move from, from a place that you are currently living to somewhere else. Take you out of your comfort zone. Sometimes God's call is scary. Sometimes God's call is a little bit frightening. And, and sure enough, morning came, and we see this in 1 Samuel three sixteen to 18. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Samuel, once he was guided in the right direction, he expected God's call. He responded to God's call. And then he was obedient to God's call. He told Eli what God had told him. He did what God told him to do. As we expect God's call, as we live in, in anticipation of, of the fact that God wants to speak to us, that he wants to be in relationship for us, we need to expect that call. We need to respond when he calls, and then we need to be willing to obey, no matter what it is, because it's what God wants us to do. And the cool thing is, if we look at the next part in 1 Samuel 3, 19-21, we see that God empowered Samuel to carry out the task. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So we see this really, really cool thing. God calls to Samuel, gives him this task that's very, very frightening. But then he enables him, he empowers him to carry it out. As you expect God's call and he he sends you something that just maybe seems way out of your ability. It probably is way out of your ability. But he will enable you to do it. And he will enable you to fulfill that calling. Again, it could be something as simple as being kind to the person in the drive-thru. Could be as simple as showing kindness to the people at work. It could be more major of asking forgiveness of someone or admitting that you've done something wrong. It could be, you know, a change of careers. It could be any number of things. But if God has called you, he has enabled you, he will enable you to do the task that he has given you to do. That phrase, and let none of his words fall to the ground, means that, that God confirmed each and everything that Samuel said. All the prophecies that he spoke came true. You know, everything that Samuel spoke was confirmed by the Lord. So we need to trust and we need to anticipate that when God calls, he will empower us. But how do we hear that call? You know, we're expecting it, but, but where should we expect it? When should we expect it? How should we expect it? And again, it's, it's not overly complicated. And the simplest place to start, the best place to start is to read God's word. It's his message to us. Again, carefully guided the men what to write so that we could have what we need to know him and to serve him. And we need to be daily in God's word, daily expecting him to speak to us through his word. Sometimes it, it is. It's like building a foundation. You're reading and you're thinking, well, I'm not certain what God is saying today. But then weeks, months, maybe even years later, as you encounter a circumstance, you're like, ah, that's what God was teaching me in that passage of Scripture. It's the importance of being there in in the Word every day, not just hitting a crisis or hitting a circumstance, opening Scripture and hoping God speaks, which He can do, but it's laying that foundation of hearing from God on a daily basis so that when the tough decision comes, so that when the crisis comes, you're already knowing God, you're already hearing from Him, and you're already expecting that He's going to walk through that crisis with you. I'll just give you a little interesting thing that happened in my life, just how God sort of called me through, through His Word, spoke to me, encouraged me through His Word. Uh, even last week, last Sunday, I was a little nervous and, and uh, anxious about the message, you know, and just the delivery of it and all of those things. And, and that morning, I got up Sunday morning and I was doing my devotions. And I was in 1 Corinthians, and, and uh, <laughs> Paul says this For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And I needed that verse. I needed to hear from God that day that it's not about your eloquence. It's the power of the cross. It's the power of the gospel that's going to do the work as we share with other people. And I had to laugh last week a couple times. I stumbled over my words or tripped up while I was reading a verse. And I just thought, no, power's not in that. The power is in the gospel of the cross of Jesus Christ. And so today, again, encourage you, be in the word. But not only do we hear the, the, word, the voice of God, uh, and leading of God, the call of God through Scripture, but we also can expect it through the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's a really cool story in Acts chapter 8. We're going to look at that later on in the year. But, but we're seeing Philip, and he's just killing it in Samaria. I mean, he's preaching the gospel. People are getting saved, and this is just a really cool thing that's happening. Then we see that an angel of the Lord comes to him and says, he says, go take a hike, literally, is what he said. You know, walk down this road. And he's walking down this road. It's in the middle of nowhere. And then he sees this man riding towards him in a chariot. And then we see in Acts 8, 29, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Philip goes over, joins the chariot, speaks with this man who's from Ethiopia, leads the guy to the Lord, and baptizes him there that day. Folks, we have to understand that God's Spirit is going to lead us in the everyday. A friend of mine back in Shrew would always call it, I, I got a nudge. He would say, i got a nudge, and so I just, I just had to do this. And I think all of us can relate to that time where we've been nudged by the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit has spoken to us and said, go witness to that person. Go help that person out. The Holy Spirit's maybe nudged you, pray for this person. They need that prayer right now. You will bring to mind a person and you're just like, why does that name keep coming to my head? And then you connect with them and you find out they're going through something that they really need help with. See, we need to expect that. We have the privilege as, as believers in Jesus Christ to have God's spirit living within us. And he's there not only to strengthen us, to empower us, but to guide us and to lead us. And it's the very voice of God speaking in us saying, go do that. Go do that do that, and we do that for his honor, for his glory, and not for our own. You know what, the Holy Spirit, God can also call to us through other people, just like Eli spoke into Samuel's life. We need to be willing to let other people speak into our lives. We need to be willing to, to allow God or others to say to us, hey, I think God needs to correct that in your life. Hey, I think God needs to wants to use you in this area. I remember when I was I was first married um, and wasn't really being as considerate of a husband as that as I should have been. You know, I kind of had this idea that I mowed the grass and shoveled the driveway, and then everything inside the house wasn't my responsibility. It wasn't really healthy and fair. And my best friend, I've been friends with him since I was three years old. Uh, came alongside of me one day and he said, "Stop being an idiot." For, for lack of a better phrase. He said, you're not treating her with kindness. You're not, you're not doing things well. And I had to recognize that through this guy, God was speaking to me, and he had to change my perspective and my arrogance and my pride to come alongside and to, to serve in a more loving and kind way at home. So we need to understand that God can speak to us through his word, through his spirit, through other people. And there are other ways, of course, that we won't cover today. We need to be expecting that call. We need to be anticipating that God every day wants to speak to us. Every day he wants to lead us. It's, it's not like in the, the beginning of that passage where the word of the Lord was rare in those days. We don't want it to be rare. We want it to be every day. Listen to the nudge of God. Listen to the call of God in your life and respond. Next week, Doug is going to speak on the fact that as we, we hear these different voices coming our way, how do we discern that it's God's voice? How do we know that it's God speaking to us? And we're looking forward to hearing that next week and looking forward to seeing you here uh, all next week as well. So let's close in a word of prayer. Father, I just want to thank you uh, for today. God, I thank you that you want to call us, that you want to speak into our lives, that you want us to uh, just to know you and to know what you want us to do. Thank you that you speak daily if we will listen. Help us to understand how great and fulfilling it is to respond to your call. I just want to thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here this morning. I look forward to seeing you next week. And if you've joined us online as well, uh, thank you for being with us. Have a great morning.